what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that it could be a game changer for supporting communities in the future. Here today to discuss the future of air mobility, taking a closer look at the operating environment and debate what challenges the industry may face, it's Oliver Wine and Cavox, Anthony Denota, and Matt Riley. For more information on this episode, check out our show notes. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. I'm Anthony Denota, Vice President at Oliver Wyman, and I'm joined today by Matt Riley, Senior Manager, also with Oliver Wyman. We're going to have a conversation today around air mobility, drones, and the unmanned aircraft systems, taking a closer look at the operating environment and what challenges the industry may face. Hey, Matt, thanks for uh, joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Anthony. Very well, thank you, and thanks for having me me join this exciting topic. As I said, glad to have you here. And, you know, as the current global coronavirus pandemic deepens, sending shocks around the world economy, you can certainly start to see how the use of drones and EV toll aircraft in the urban airspace could play a pivotal role in overcoming, you know, various challenges that we're seeing caused by this pandemic. Drones are probably uh, more relevant given the current situation. We'll probably let's focus on those for this podcast, and maybe we'll pick up the EV toll in a future podcast. So going back to drones, Matt, you know, while there's like a number of prototypes that are being built, you know, obviously there are a significant number of hurdles that need to be scaled before they become a viable part of our logistic landscape. How close do you think we are to fully utilizing uh, these vehicles within the logistics infrastructure, Matt. I totally agree with you that uh, we have some challenges and some hurdles to overcome. Right now, to answer that question, I don't know if we're as close as we may think we are with operations in the national airspace, especially around other manned aircraft, let alone the intent to operate in highly congested urban areas. We've talked about all these small drones carrying packages and and the logistics of delivery, but we don't really have a way to operate successfully large quantities of these smaller drones autonomously. And I think those are the challenges we have to solve. For sure, OEMs are involved. We've got many of the large manufacturers. We have many large logistic companies involved. So everyone is working on it. But the regulators are going to play a key role in how we all operate under the same rules in this national airspace system. I think, Matt, it's certainly a, you know, an interesting shift brought about by the catalyst, of course. You know, if you see a lot of the media reportings now, they talk about how, you know, the world will change post-pandemic. And I think as you look at drone package delivery or supply delivery, I think if you go back six months ago, a lot of people were looking at it saying, well, you know, gosh, the gee whiz, that's a nice to have, but we're able to do it today. So, you know, really, what's the big deal, right? And and I think you just fast forward to the current state. And, and the big deal is, is that where you have, you know, communities that are on the fringe of suburban or maybe rural that are not able to access things in the manner they need, especially things like, you know, medications or, you know, life-sustaining items. You know, we see some companies with drones delivering plasma in other parts of the world or maybe pharmacy or pharmaceutical things or PPE packages, right? They could all be 
supplied in those ways in, in an emergency. So I think that it starts to become like, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that it could be a game changer for supporting communities in the future. I totally agree. And I think the COVID-19 is certainly the catalyst for a lot of the fast track that we will need to overcome some of the challenges to operate in the national airspace system. Sorry, I'm going to geek out a little bit on some of these numbers, but if we look at how many registered drones, and now that includes small commercial photography drones, it could include hobbyists, but right now there is 1,563,000 drones registered in the United States alone as of March 10th, and that's Recreational, there's 1.1 million, and commercially, there are 440,000. That's a lot of vehicles, and getting them to all operate on the same set of rules, the same criteria and protocols for autonomy is a big challenge. One that is being or trying to be addressed by the FAA with a new, right now it's a proposed rulemaking, and it's a called remote ID, and it affects many of the rules that both 135 commercial operators and part 107 operators will need to operate under, and that's part 91. And I'm going to bring back some of the discussion around part 91 because the rules say for any pilot, manned or unmanned, they have to see and avoid all other aircraft in the airspace. Well, that's great for a manned aircraft, but what about these unmanned autonomous vehicles? They have got to get sensors and systems on board some of these small drones don't have that kind of carry capability, but they are still going to be required to operate with that detect and avoid sensor in order to operate into urban areas, even the remote areas as well. Getting through all of those hurdles is key to the success that you just brought up about delivering critical supplies in the areas. I see that as, and it's a really good point, in terms of that last mile logistics of anything that we deem critical. It could even be food or other perishables to people. How do you comply? Obviously, you know, we here in the States, but I think more broadly, globally, the airspace that commercial aircraft operate in, uh, pretty darn safe. We've built a tremendous record of safety operating aircraft in a controlled manner. And now we want to introduce, as you said, potentially millions of additional vehicles into the space. And, and that's not terrible, but you need to comply with many of the um, regulations and other requirements that allow you to participate in that airspace in a safe and compliant way. Currently, we have operators with equipment that can handle all weather operations day and night. They can handle over operations over people. However, the rules without waiver don't allow for it. And if you were to apply for waivers for all of those or any one of those, it's all based on risk. And that's something that many, many Part 107 operators are not familiar with. You know, we in the airline business, we've dealt with risk and risk management mitigations for years. But this is new to some of these operators. And it's critical that they operate just like an airline. And I think, Anthony, you already mentioned the safety factor. All it takes is one accident where someone is injured and this industry will come apart. So the risk, the safety factors, all of that is critical to having a successful drone operation in this space.
You know, I was at an FAA conference a few months back, and one of the uh, messages that came out loud, loud and clear was that, you know, given any regulatory body, whether it's here in the States or uh, EASA or others, that their ability to make new rules are, you know, is limited, and it takes generally, you know, many years for new rulemaking to occur. And so the uh, the synthesis of that was that simply, you know, anybody, any new entrant into the national airspace will most likely just need to figure out how to comply with the rules that exist today. And so that kind of brings in a whole new dynamic, of course, right, is that how do you pack all this technology into a delivery drone that can, you know, kind of fit in there without reducing or eliminating all the payload. So, you know, physics, of course, math, there's no, there's no free lunch there, right? Like if you add weight, you got to add power, right? And if you add power, you got to add energy, right? And so, so you start to fight the, the laws of physics and you, you end up, you know, potentially with a vehicle that is you know, in the millions of dollars. So now it's no longer economically viable. And we find ourselves in this situation where, you know, adding a lot of tech to make it compliant could potentially drive the price up, which makes the business model not viable. And, you know, you've seen a lot of the evolutions. I know that some of the industry groups you belong to, you know, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, scale manufacturing or other things that could potentially start to eat away at, you know, this ramp cost and the scale cost? One of the reasons that I think we wanted to speak about the drone first is because of the size, the weight carrying capabilities, just because of the same reasons you just mentioned is we start getting into the eVTOL right now and the machine itself can be designed to fly autonomously. We've proven that. We have batteries that are lasting longer, but when you put a vehicle together with two passengers and a couple of suitcases, there's not a battery in the world that can lift that for much longer than 15 or 20 minutes. And that is so far down the road from my perspective that where I see the industry going first is this small package delivery, rural locations outside of urban areas where we can operate partially in the national airspace system and some in the lower levels. I think this remote ID is a, is a topic I would like to talk about for two reasons. The first is, it's a three-pronged approach the FAA has taken, and one of them is to try to standardize all of the drone manufacturers to performance-based criteria. And by doing that, they're going to put these vehicles into type certification, just like an airplane. And they will have to meet certain protocols, certain criteria, and standards. So all vehicles are operating roughly in the same manner. Now, there are some OEMs out there now, very famous ones that we all know and use in cockpits, working very hard on this type of protocol. It will help in the multiple vehicle operation when you have 15 or 20 autonomous vehicles in the same location. That's the first part. The, the second and third part get into the parts that people get a little antsy when they talk about privacy. One of the things that this rule is attempting to do is identify the drone, just much like a license plate would have on a car, who owns the drone, and where is the PIC flying that drone. The privacy piece of this that people are a little upset about is that system or systems could be hacked. And we've seen many hacks and cybersecurity breaches where 
data is stolen and identities are stolen, and that is the biggest concern. So the FAA right now is going to have a challenge in this NPRM they recently put out as of the uh, middle of March. There have been 50,000, a little over 50,000 comments received on this NPRM. So we'll see. The jury's still out on how this will go over. 50,000 comments, Matt. Gosh, there's a, a lot to sort through for sure. Matt, I think that you know we're kind of running out of time here today for this, but I want to kind of wrap it up a little bit. And you know, we've covered a lot of grounds for sure on the drones. I think that you know the, the pandemic has given a catalyst for the need and the desire to be able to fulfill you know the last mile with an unmanned aerial vehicle or by using an unmanned aerial system. You know, I think the other barriers that, you know, are out there, some of them we touched on, I think social acceptance, yeah, I I think that's going to be a much lower barrier now. And airspace management, I think the technology exists to to make it happen. It's just a matter of technology at scale. The autonomy of these systems and the energy storage, I think, will come along. You know, I think based on our chat today, the one, the area that I think we'll, we'll be paying the closest attention to and certainly supporting the industry as an industry leader is uh, certification, reliability, and safety. And, and I think that, uh, you know, that is like, I think the key takeaway, right, is the, those elements and, and how, uh, how the industry can mature quickly without sacrificing the safety, reliability, or course, meeting all the certification standards. So anyway, Matt, thanks for uh, you know, a great discussion today. You know, certainly look forward to having a future conversation, you know, as we talk about urban air mobility part of this at at a future time. Well, thank you, Anthony. That was a a fabulous discussion. I really enjoyed it. I would just like to say that we touched on many topics, many subjects, and it was high level. There's anything that anybody would like to hear about in deeper detail, please write in and let us know what those might be. And we'd be happy to get into the specifics and and talk in future episodes. Thanks again. Thank you, everyone, and look forward to catching up again soon. The Oliver Wyman Velocity Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. For more information, follow us on Twitter at Oliver Wyman and read our latest transportation insights at oliverwyman.com.